Matthew chapter 4. We'll read through the whole thing, make sure we're all refreshed and up to speed on what's going on here. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Yeah. Now Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command angels concerning you, and their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him, this is ours for today. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and, you, and him alone shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you allowed your son to be tempted. That you allowed your son to go through weakness. That you allowed your son to go through pain. That you allowed your son to be face to face with evil. And I thank you, Jesus, that you conquered every aspect of that testing. Father, I know that in this life, me and the men around me, we will face trials. We will face temptation. We will face pain. We will face hardships. In the midst of those, be tempted to do things we never thought we would uh, be susceptible to doing. But Jesus, I pray today that we would understand, first and foremost, how truly vulnerable we are. How susceptible we are to our fallen flesh, this broken world, and the enemy who has temporary reign here. But I pray at the same time, we know and realize how victorious we are in you. How Christ in us is the hope of glory how you are making us new and how you promise that you have been victorious over the sin that would tempt us. Remind us, Jesus, again and again and again that the old is gone and the new has come. Let us walk with you in your name. Amen. All right, so just a, a reminder, kind of refresh. One of the, some of the big parts we've been leaning here into this temptation is that when Jesus is facing this temptation, it, again, it is God leading him out there to be tempted, which is unique. It's not God doing the temptation, but it's God allowing him to be out there to go through the testing. One of the things we've talked about that that really should be eye-opener for us to understand that God is going to allow you to be tested. He's going to allow our faith to go that way. And the reason that happens is so that we can develop trust. We can develop trust in him. One of the things that we've already identified that happens as Satan comes here and tempts him is that the temptation, every single one of them, even the one we're going to get into today, they're all temptations, not necessarily on Jesus' divinity, but they're temptations on Jesus' identity. 
There are temptations that directly go after who he is as the son of God. There are temptations to get Satan to be the subsidiary to what a father would provide and how a father would protect and as opposed to having Jesus see God as his true provider and protector. It's really temptations to let Satan be his daddy instead of God be his daddy. And a lot of our temptations are along those same lines. That's why, again, we talked about it kind of makes sense now to when Jesus comes out of the water of baptism, the Father, knowing the whole plan, knowing uh, not just what's happening now, but what's happening next, he speaks over his son, you are my son. I love you. With you, I'm well pleased. And then right out of that, he goes directly into a temptation that pounds against his identity, pounds against his identity. And so um, week one, we saw the temptation to self-gratification. He's saying, turn these loaves into bread. And we all face those temptations to self-gratify, to, to take uh, what we want and to take it now and to know that, hey, I have this desire. I have this urge. I, I, I want a uh, shortcut and I want to take a good thing, but not in God's timing. Last week, we leaned into the temptation where he, he tempts him to, you know, put God to the test, essentially. And this is that we talked about. This is the temptation to self-protection. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that I am insulated. I'm going to make sure that I'm protected. And I want to do it so much to an extent that I'm going to put God to the test. I, I'm going to say, God, if you don't do this here, well, then I have to do things my way. And this week, as we specifically lean into this, this moment where Satan apparently takes Jesus up to some place, um, the, the commentators and theologians are kind of um, back and forth on how this actually happened. Like, how do you go? Is this a vision that both Jesus and Satan into this kind of this metaphysical thing that's going on right now? There's not really necessarily a place or a mountain they could go to where they could see all the kingdoms of earth. What's kind of going on here? This next temptation where they go up to some incredibly high place, they're able to overlook the world and its kingdoms, and Satan says, Jesus, all this will be yours. All you've got to do is fall down and worship me. And again, Jesus quotes scripture back to Satan. He says, we should worship, the Bible is very clear on this, we should worship the Lord our God and serve him only. And from that, that third temptation, Satan flees, angels come in, minister to and protect and care for Jesus. And so that's what we're going to lean into today. This third temptation towards self-exaltation. The word exaltation or exalt, it really means to be lifting yourself up to a higher place. That's what exalted is. Exalted is I'm going to, uh, here is the level that I'm at and I need to be at a higher level, uh, whether that's a, a role, whether that's um, a reign. This all exaltation is, is a higher level of leadership, authority, power, stature. And so what Satan is tempting Jesus to do is to skip the pain and go straight to the gain. To skip the pain and go straight to the gain. See, what Satan knows and he understands, and I believe, I don't know how fully cognizant the two sides of Jesus were fully on this aspect of things. I believe Jesus knew that in due time, all the king, he would be the king of kings. He would be the Lord of lords. And I believe, too, Satan knew and understood that. The problem is the path that Satan was tempting to Jesus to go on was a path that would circumvent the cross, a path to go, hey, you don't have to humble yourself to be exalted. You just have to humble yourself before me. You don't have to go to see the father. He's going to make you humble yourself to be obedient to death, 
to, to hang around with 12 absolute buffoons of guys who are going to get on your nerves. You're going to be kicked out of towns. Pharisees are going to try to chase you down. The Romans are going to hate you and undermine you and ask all sorts of questions of you. You're going to have to constantly be on the run. You're going to get crucified. And that's your father's way of doing this. Here's a shortcut. Just take a knee. And I can give you all of this. And so that's the temptation that we're going to lean into today. And again, for us, it's the temptation to skip the pain and go straight to the gain. What Satan is, is saying here is some of even the questions that Jesus gets pounded on when he's on the cross. You know, when Jesus is, is being crucified, there's people shouting and they say, if you are the son of God, get yourself down from there. Even the, the criminal at the cross says, if you really are the son of God, help us out. And it's this temptation where he's saying, if you're the son, Jesus, why leave out of this desert and go be a servant? If you really are a king, Jesus, if you really are God's son, you really are the, the king, why be crucified? Kings aren't crucified. Kings don't serve. Kings are kings and they don't serve. They have servants. It was Satan's way of saying all of these things are yours and you deserve these things, Jesus. These are rightfully yours. They're now for the taking. You're entitled to this. We're going to come back to that word. You're entitled to this and you deserve it. And these are the same temptations. Again, a lot of what we see in Jesus and his temptation in the garden or his temptation in the desert parallels what we see with Adam and Eve when they're being tempted in the garden. And it goes back to how Paul refers to Jesus as the true and greater Adam. And where Adam failed to do his job, Jesus fully does his job. And if you go back to the garden, it was the same thing as, as the snake slows up to Adam and Eve. He's tempting them to say, right now, if you eat this fruit, who will you become like? Who is he telling them that if you get this, here's what will happen to you? You'll be like God. You, you'll get what God has. He's holding out on you. If you eat this, you'll become like him, which they understood we are not fully like him right now. If we do this, there is a higher level of being that we will be at if we put our teeth through and digest this thing that our God has told us not to do. And they know they get to this. Again, that's uh, maybe you never realize that when you read the story. But what also they're being tempted to is tempted into exaltation of themselves to say, here is a means, here's an outside resource outside of ourselves that if we can consume, if we will do this thing, we will go to a higher level. We will have new power, new wisdom, new insight. And Satan tells him that. And he's really not lying. They will be exalted to be this place where they now have this wisdom and have this understanding. But at the same time that they will exalt themselves, they will also be disobedient to the Father. And what happens here is they do. Both of them do. And so what is happening is they actually trade in worship and obedience to the Father to worship and obedience to the temptation of the snake. They, in partnership with their flesh and Satan's temptation, fall. So that they can go higher. This is what's so, um, it's this weird paradox that's in the Bible. Is They think they're going to go higher, but what do we call what happens in the garden? The fall. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to uh, 1 Peter 5, 5-11. through 11. 
around this idea of self-exaltation, there really is, uh, in my opinion, <clears throat> very few greater passages around this idea of um, pride and humility and wanting to put ourselves up and prop ourselves up and lift ourselves up before other people and what God does when we're actually humble than 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. Uh, to give you a little bit of the context here, Peter is writing to a church that is not like in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is writing to a church, a group of people who are following Jesus who are getting ready to face temptation. Some stuff has gotten me, you know, kind of like a little bit bad so far and it's about to get really worse if we, you know, know how history goes. Uh, Nero is about to come in and, and blame the Christians on everything and mass persecution is getting ready to break out in the book of Hebrews. Where Peter is writing, there already has been some bad things happening to this fledgling group of people that is the church there where Peter is writing them to. And so he's helping them understand in the midst of this persecution, there's going to be arguments, there's going to be disagreements. Old, younger men are going to have a problem um, submitting to and agreeing with the elders in their congregation. The elders are going to have a hard time uh, you know, listening to and, and taking the advice of some of the younger guys and taking their wisdom. And so what he's telling everybody to do in this situation, if you go a couple verses up, he's talking to elders and young men. And you know, specifically, he leans in, he's talking to the younger guys and he's saying, humble yourself, you know, listen to the older men around you, which I, I, I love the fact that we have a diverse age group in this room and some younger guys and some older guys. But he's telling them to don't get too big for your britches. Don't feel like because you have gained some wisdom, don't feel like because you have some knowledge that you can just skip over listening to the men of God that are around you in your faith community. You're not, you're not on your own. You're part of the family of Christ. And now more than ever, because they're facing persecution, they actually need each other. So he says these words to him. We'll start at where he says, uh, clothe. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 11. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you. So now he's not just talking to old guys or younger guys. He says, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. That's how we act with each other. And then he, he quotes from, uh, pulls a, a Bible quotation here that is key and underline this, memorize this. Put this at the forefront of your head and your heart. Be, uh, clothe yourself with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, underline that proper time thing. We have trouble, we have trouble with that. We're going to talk about that and ask some questions around that today. At the proper time, he may exalt you. There's our word. And then he goes to verse 7. And now he starts to get into our emotions and, and what we feel and, and the reasons why we are tempted to exalt ourselves and don't want to humble ourselves. We're tempted to walk in pride and not walk in humility. Verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him before, because he cares for you. And then he issues a warning and I was, I was praying through the passage we were in last week in Hebrews and praying for you guys this morning around this. And one of the things that I look at my own life and I, and I look at some of you guys' stories I've been able to walk along with, 
And one of the things that I'm sure most of us have had is some point in your life, you've had some moment where you've been praying for a miracle. Like I need, a, I, like whether it's a healing, whether it's a get out of this debt, whether it's like <laughs> help me not to get this speeding ticket, you know, because it's my fourth this month. Like we've all had those times when we're like, God, I, I need a miracle right now. And one of the things that I was going back and thinking about my life, the things that are miracles that God has done in my life that I have not identified and glorified him for giving them and, and labeled them truly miraculous are warnings. See, oftentimes we're praying for miracles, but most of the miracles, when I go back and look at my own story, maybe you see this in yours, most of the time the miracles I'm praying for, I'm having to ask for those miracles because I didn't listen to God's warnings in the first place. And if I listen to the warnings, the warning is the miracle. Like the warning is God saying, don't do that, pay attention. This is a bad place. I gave you the Holy Spirit. You have the miracle of my son's spirit inside of you, guiding you, leading you, and directing you. And I'm giving you the miracle right now of being able to see, feel, know, and realize that this is a bad path to continue on. And again, most every one of us in this room, we've had times where we have gone, okay, cool. I'm going to try it my way, though. <laughs> and we've had times where and many of us have, 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 you know, hope thankfully have been here, too, where we have listened to that and gone, I don't really know why, but I got to leave this job. I don't know, really know why, but I'm going to turn down this opportunity. I don't really know why, but I'm going to you know, delete this or whatever action that he's called you into. Like you don't really know why you don't really fully understand, but you feel that warning and he gives you this divine wisdom to be able to look out in the future and see the danger that the devil has coming your way and go, I'm going to get back on the straight and narrow path that I've veered off from. And this is why I think he says what well, he does in verse eight or, or uh, yeah, verse eight. He says, be sober minded. Be watchful. It's like, don't be so, don't be drunk on your own emotions. Don't be drunk on your own feelings. Don't be drunk on your own, I mean, it could be literally, very literally here. Don't be drunk, period. Um, but be sober-minded, be watchful. And here's why. Your adversary, so you have an active, real-life enemy. This is one of the things we talked about as we enter into this temptation. There is a real, active, spiritual force that is personally against you and everything that you stand for, everything that you hope in, and everything that has value in your life. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He's always hungry, seeking to devour, seeking someone to devour. Verse 9, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brothers, by your brotherhood throughout the world. In verse 10, <laughs> he doesn't say, and if, I love what he says right here, and after you have suffered a little while. <laughs> like he, as, it's as if he knows, like you're going to suffer. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, I love these words, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen.
Love this passage. Love everything that's in here because what he's saying here when he says God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. This oppose, it's actually, it's this word that in the Greek it, it means he lines up opposing you. Like it's uh, if you are the, um, the right tackle on, on offense, you're lining up against the opposing defense. It's, it's we're down in three-point stance, lined up against God. Which, I don't know about you, but that's a very intimidating place to be in my pride. To say that, like, <laughs> it's like I'm Pee Wee League, and then, and, and then God is the, that, that dude that was number 99 for UGA, uh, Jordan Smith. What was his name? Jordan Davis, yeah. It's like me versus, even me. Like, I don't even have to be Pee Wee. I can just be me, and I'm 225 pounds. And, like, me and Jordan Davis still down a three-point stance is not going to be pretty. And he's saying, that's us when we in our pride Come before God. It's God. God, it's like, I'm, I'm opposing that. Pride is the, is the root sin. I think if you trace back Satan's fall from heaven, Satan's fall from heaven wasn't lust. Satan's fall from heaven wasn't greed. Satan's fall from heaven was pride. I deserve this worship. I deserve to be glorified, to be praised like God is. And, and these, these people, these humans, these things you've created, God, they don't deserve to be any co-share or any co-partner in the glory that we have as these divine creatures. They should not be a part of this. They're broken. They're gross. They, they, they're, 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 they're not us. And so that pride is what gets Satan kicked out. And that pride is what I think the father hates to see in his sons. That's why he says God opposes the proud. He goes against their, their, their will and their way. And I've seen this happen in my life, and I'm going to allow you guys to answer some questions here eventually on this. We've seen those times where God opposes us. And thank goodness it is not a... Um, he opposes us in a way that doesn't kill us. And that's, again, that's some of his grace even there. But it says he gives grace to the humble. And, and it says... In due time, and this is the hard part, look at verse um, 7. No, uh, 6, sorry. So he says, God opposes the proud, gives grace to humble. And then verse 6, he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, the hand can, who can both pull you up and crush you down, the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Proper time. If you're reading in the NIV, it says, uh, so that in due time, he may exalt you. See, this is the temptation that was coming after Jesus here in the, in the, in the, in the desert, was this, I'm going to be exalted. This is something that is going to be a part of my story. But the problem was, it wasn't the proper time. What Satan was tempting Jesus to do was to trade the end time exaltation of God the Father for right now exaltation of Satan. And he's going to do the exact same thing in us. To get you to want to lift yourself up, to prop yourself up. And some of you may sitting here and be like, well, I'm not trying to exalt myself because I think as guys, most of the time when we think exalt myself, we think, well, that just, that's just all about like climbing this corporate ladder so that I can be the boss and I can kind of sit there and be in charge and there's rule and reign and everything else like that. Maybe to some extent there's some of that in us, but much more 
it's not necessarily being in charge of everybody. It's not necessarily having the corner office or having the business that we boss everybody around are, or even being the king of our own home, as much as it is just being the king of your own heart, being the one who rules and reigns over you, being the one who says, this is what I get to do. This is what I don't have to do. I'm going to make my rules, my regulations about me. Because that's, that's some of the hard part for us. Some of us, we go to jobs where we just kind of get told what to do. And then we come home. And let's be honest, some of us have wives where we're just like, you know, whether it's because we abdicated responsibilities or we had responsibilities and we mess those up. Um, you go home and you have a wife who just tells you what to do too. And you feel like nowhere in your life are you really in charge. And so really the only place you get to be in charge is when you escape to, to La La Land or Fantasy Land or you're in your own pickup truck or you have those own quiet moments where it's just you. And those moments where you, you kind of have that deep breath and maybe don't even realize this, where you go, okay, I, I, there is some place where I can be king, where I can rule, where I can be in charge. And there's something inside of us that, that I really do think is hardwired to do that in tandem and in partnership with God. Remember, when God created Adam and Eve, before, actually before Eve even showed up on the scene, what did God give to Adam? He gave him dominion. He gave him rule and leadership over his creation. So this, this longing to lead, this longing to govern in a way having been a recipient of God's instructions on it and then govern in a way that allows things to flourish in this kingdom that we have down here is actually something that God put in you. The problem is we have a really hard time with in due time. We have a really hard time with when it's right, the time is right, God will lift you up. And the thing is, and I think Jesus understood this here and we'll, we have to understand this in our own lives it is much better to stay humble and let God lift you up than to try to climb that ladder. It's so much, it, and again, we've, we're going to have a chance to you know, talk through some of these stories and walk through some of these stories that hopefully you've experienced in your own life. But trying to be the top dog, trying to be a king, it leads back to, um, again, the, the, the quote we um, leaned into uh, from the uh, secular theologians of Metallica, that you will be king nothing. It'll all crash down, and there will be nobody around, and you'll be king nothing. And so my hope and prayer as we get ready to, um, to dive into this, as we kind of round out and sum up where we've been in these temptations, is you understand really two key things. One, you are incredibly vulnerable. Like you cannot and you will not be able to resist, fight, and be victorious over sin and its temptation in and of your own self, in and of your own self-worship. Now, some of you, you may be here and be thinking like, I can, I can will and I can work my way into this and I can white knuckle this temptation and, and not fall to these things. But here's the problem. When you do that, eventually Satan, he, he's going to leverage whatever he can in your life. You're going to start worshiping your willpower. And you're going to start looking down at other people and being like, man, what a sissy. You know, just quit drinking. You know, you're, you're depressed. Well, just stop. 
Like, and, and you're like, well, I wish people could just be like me. I just have grit. I'm just tough. I just whatever. And what you don't realize right there, and all those things, and all that pride, well, first of all, you're, you're exalting yourself, and secondly, your pride, and then you're just like very, very susceptible to what Satan's going to get you to do next because you're worshiping your willpower out of your own pride. So one, we are incredibly vulnerable. There is no resistance to temptation that you will be able to do or provide in and of your own self. Secondly, you should be incredibly confident that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That Jesus is actually residing in you. That you truly, like we read about in, in 1 John a couple of weeks ago, in 1 John 2, we truly have the power in us to live to Christ because we actually have, this is wild to think about, we actually have died to those sins. The old part of you that craved those things is actually dead. And the one who overcame, resisted the temptation in the garden, and then resisted all the way to the point of death, he was humbled to the lowest of lows so he could be exalted to the highest of highs. And that power, that power to humble himself, to go to become nothing, that power to defeat sin on the cross, that power is inside of you. And I love where um, um, Colossians 1.27, great verse on this. This is back half, this, this short little phrase. Colossians 1.27 says, To them God chose to make known the great among the Gentiles. How great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And again, he's talking about the most crazy thing, the, the big mystery of the universe is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, like God can be in you. That was the big mystery of the universe. We all thought we were just going to do really good things and we we're going to get to God. And what he's saying, no, 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 the big mystery of the universe that has come, has come on the scene in the person of Jesus Christ is that Christ in you is the hope of glory, that God can reside inside the heart of a man like you. And Christ in you is the only hope of glory. You in you is not a hope of glory, but it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So this week, as you go and you face the temptation, it's going, nope, um, I feel this. I feel the pull of my flesh right now, but Christ is in me and he is a hope of glory. Uh, and really, that, that longing for glory is, is at the, it's hidden inside of almost every sin that you'd be tempted to fall into. Whether it's to, the sin to win the argument at home with your wife, hidden within that is this hope to be the glory of the one who was right. The argument at work, it's hidden within that, the glory to be the guy who was right. Hidden behind your um, workaholism is the hope of glory. The hope of glory of being able to, to be known as the first person in my family to make it, to be the true provider for my family, to be whatever. But again, that's a decent hope. But if it's just about you, you're not going to get true glory. He said, no, Christ in me is the hope of glory. The glory that I want is really the glory I want to be able to give back to God, to give back to Jesus. And so Christ in me is my, not just one of my hopes of glory. Christ in me is the only hope of glory. Jesus, thank you for this time to gather together with uh, these men of God. I pray as we get into these conversations, we start talking about real life stuff, that, that you would continue to keep us humble, Jesus. Protect the men of MCC from pride, pride in our homes, pride at work, uh, that when people think of what a godly man is, they see on display through us men of humility, men of humility who let you and your due time exalt us to the levels of leadership, providence, and provision that I believe you have called us to. In your name, amen.